Let me just pray for us. Lord, we love you today. And Lord, we, we, we know when we walked in this room, Lord, you, you walked in with us. You walked in inside of us. Lord, your word says that you do not dwell in man-made things. You do not dwell in bricks and mortar. Lord, this is just a building. But Lord, we are the temple. Lord, we are your temple, and you are with us, God. But when we come together, God, it's something special. When two or more gather in your name, Lord, you are just in our midst in a super special way, Lord. So we recognize your presence today. We recognize, God, that you are in our midst. So thank you for the journey that we're on as a faith family, just for everything that you're doing, Lord, and everything that you're preparing us for. Lord, it's just all so good, and we're so grateful, so thankful uh, for the invitation that you've given us. Lord, to be a church and we exist, God, the purpose we exist is to exalt the Lord Jesus, Lord, day and night. That's why we're here, Lord, and thank you for the privilege to get to do that. And thank you for calling us as a body, Lord, to be a regional beachhead for revival in the region that you put us in. We're seeing you do so many incredible things across the body of Christ around us. We're amazed at that, Lord. So we know you are moving in the earth today. And Lord, you are pouring out your spirit upon all flesh. And Lord, we want to be at the front of the line for that, God. We want to be, just say, yes, Lord. We want all that you have. We don't want to hold back. We don't want to resist. We don't want to doubt. We don't want to be skeptical. We just want to say, yes, Lord. We want it. We, more, Lord, all that you have for us to empower us, God, to know you, God, to know you first and foremost. And then, out of the overflow of our life, God, be a testimony to those around us in our homes and the families around us, the cubicles next to us, or wherever we find ourselves, just flow out of our life in power. So thank you for your word today, Lord. Thank you for Stephen being with us. As always, just anoint him, God, as he speaks and, and truly breaks the bread of life for us today, God, that we might receive all that you have for us, not just information, Lord, but we, but revelation, Lord, true revelation that would spark um, authentic transformation in all of our life, Lord, as, as we continue to hunger and thirst after you. We love you. Bless your sons and daughters that are here this morning. Thank you for each one that came. I pray, Lord, you supernaturally touch, God, each one today, Lord. They would just know you, not just in their head or in, in their spirit, but they would know you in their soul, God. They would feel your love in their heart to know your love that surpasses all knowledge, God. So come, Holy Spirit. Only you can do that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Dustin. And uh, I don't want to misspeak, D Dustin, but is it right that growth paths, we're going to continue those moving forward? So if, if you're thinking, man, I really enjoy Elevate and this you know, the teaching environment that's, you know, not the main service where everybody's getting preaching together, but like there's, you know, a, a particular topic that's being covered over a period of time and in-depth teaching, and you like that, it's not going away just because Elevate's going away. It's just going to be in a different format. So be on the lookout for growth path um, teachings that, that will be uh, coming forth in the, in the future. Those won't be going away if you enjoy those. <clears throat> All right, this morning, we are going to be looking at uh, set watchmen. Set watchmen on the wall is the topic that we're looking at, and, and sort of where we've been over this, these four weeks of Elevate class is we started out looking at the heavenly realm and what's going on in the heavenly realm and how God has his throne room set up, and what we saw is unceasing worship around the throne of God, 
right? That's what's happening in the heavenly realm. And then the next week, Ashley came and taught you, and she talked about how God's in, in original intent for mankind in the Garden of Eden, Eden was that mankind would actually be a kingdom of priests. Like, that was actually the original plan, is that we're to enter into priesthood, and, and that idea of we're to be living our lives before God first and foremost, and in relationship with God. And then the next week, uh, which was last week, what did we talk about? Uh, it had something to do with prayer, right? We talked about the Tabernacle of David, and we talked about how uh, uh, the Tabernacle of, of David was actually uh, a picture of what's uh, happening in the heavenly realm and what's going to be happening on earth. It's this, this different reality than the Tabernacle of Moses and the temple where God's presence was there in the tabernacle of Moses, it was there in the temple, but you couldn't get to it. Like, you didn't have access to it. One guy gets access once a year, yet in the tabernacle of David, there's actually 24-7 access to the presence of God, and it's surrounded by worship and prayer, right? So that's what's going on in the Old Testament, um, and we said that's a picture of the first coming of Jesus, and it's what's going to happen when Jesus returns at the second coming of Jesus. It's what's going to be happening on the earth, unceasing ceasing worship and prayer around the, the throne of God, Jesus in Jerusalem. So the question that remains, though, is what about now, right? What about now? Is there really this thing for unceasing worship and prayer now? Is there really the, the, the call for night and day prayer now in this current age, this current state that we're in? We know it's where the heavenly realm is, where the Garden of Eden was, where it was in the Old Testament, where we're going in the millennial kingdom and beyond, but what about now? And so that's what we're going to look at right now is what about now? So is night and day prayer a New Testament concept? Like in this age that we're living in, is this something? And there's a pretty quick answer. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, we're done. Okay. I hope you enjoyed the class. <clears throat> all right. Um, but I don't know if you noticed that says First Thessalonians 6, 16 through 18 are all right there. I didn't take anything out. That's actually three verses right there. So you actually have an entire verse that says this, pray continually. One of the shortest verses in the Bible says this, pray continually. What does that mean? Pray without ceasing. Pray always. All right? And, and it's not only that God says, okay, if you really want to, I will allow you to pray unceasingly. It says, no, this is God's will for you. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And the rejoice always, that's worship, right? So there's worship and prayer continually is the Lord's will, even in this current age that we're in. Um, <clears throat> John Wesley said this. He says, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And I might put a little asterisk by it. I mean, he might be doing stuff on faraway, in faraway galaxies, that we're not actually praying about, right? <laughs> He's sustaining those actively, and we probably don't put a lot of prayer into that. But in our reality, on earth, this is how God has things set up. He moves in response to prayer. It's just the way that he has things set up. He moves in response to prayer. So the volume of Scripture gives weight to this concept that John Wesley lays out. I mean, that's a pretty good authority, right? John Wesley, pretty good authority. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. But if you don't want to go with John Wesley, how about Jesus, right? Jesus is a pretty good source of information for us. So let's look what he says about night and day prayer. <clears throat> Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable 
to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about people or what cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him in the with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, and a lot of the translations just say, or care about people, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Or others, others say, come and wear me out. <clears throat> come and wear me out. All right. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? All right. <clears throat> so Jesus is telling this parable, and a lot of people, when they read this parable, they make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is, is giving parallelism. That he's saying, just like this situation, God. But it's actually the exact opposite. So don't make that mistake when you read this, because if we, you read it that way, then you think, okay, well, I'm just the poor, beggarly widow who's coming before God, and if I annoy him enough and keep knocking on his door, then finally he's going to get annoyed with me and go, man, this guy is wearing me out. This woman's wearing me out in prayer, so I'm just going to finally give it to him just to get him off my back. Okay? And a lot of people actually approach prayer that way and have that concept of prayer, and, and they think that this passage actually backs that up. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying, okay? He's not giving a parallelism. He's giving a contrast, okay? He's giving a contrast, and what he's saying is if even the poor beggarly widow who has nothing to offer to the judge, who the judge could not care less about, comes to a judge who doesn't care about people, doesn't care about what people think, and he's not even a just judge. He's an unjust judge. But if even that widow can get justice if she just keeps coming, how much more then will God, who does love you, who does care about you, who views you as his bride, who desires intimacy with you, who desires what is best for you, and he is completely just, more just than any judge we've ever encountered ever before. The most just judge ever. If the unjust judge will give justice to the poor beggarly widow who cries out just because she keeps coming, how much more than if we just keep coming to his presence as his chosen ones, as his beloved bride, will he go, oh, yes, I delight in giving you justice. I delight to give you justice. It's not a parallel. It's a contrast. So don't read this and think I'm, I'm annoying God by coming to him. I'm bugging him. I'm going to, you know, pester him into giving me what I want. Because that, that is the, the approach that a lot of people feel like they're bugging God, like, He's running the entire universe and beyond, right? Like, surely he doesn't have time for me, but maybe if I just keep coming he's, and I bug him enough, then he, he'll, because he's got so much to do, he'll give me what I want. He goes, no, that's not it at all. You're his chosen one. He delights in you. He loves to hear your voice. He says, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, Song of Solomon. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. I desire to hear from you. I want to give you justice. And he loves when we come into his presence. And he goes, man, if that unjust judge is going to give justice, 
in that situation to the poor beggarly widow, how much more then is God going to grant justice to you if you cry out to him day and night? And he goes, he'll see that you get justice, and he'll see that you get it quickly. It's this idea of night and day prayer leading to speedy justice. Night and day prayer leading to speedy justice. You see, I put those ideas in bold there. Because what Jesus, the point of his parable was not that you, you bug God, but if you bug him enough, you'll get what you want. That's not the point at all. The point is this. He's taught them this parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Did Jesus believe in unceasing night and day prayer? He says at the beginning, he's giving us a parable to tell us we should always pray and never give it up. And then at the end, he says what? Those who cry out to him day and night. He will see that they get justice and that they will get it quickly. So this is what Jesus is telling us, what God is telling us about night and day prayer, that it actually results in speedy justice. We're at the top of page two. Number three, remember the reason Jesus told this parable to teach his disciples that they should pray and never give up. Jesus then says, that when we pray night and day, God will come and release speedy justice. Look at number five there. Our cities are filled with injustice. Because that's a vague concept until we put some feet to it. All right, what are we talking about? Our cities are filled with injustice, violence, hatred, pornography, crime, poverty, homosexuality, AIDS. For the city of Atlanta, we can throw in there one of the top cities in the nation in murder, one of the top cities in the nation in human trafficking. That's injustice. That is injustice. That's what he's talking about. If we cry out to him night and day, he will release justice and release it speedily. All right. Number six there. There is not a political candidate, a local court, or police agency that can solve all of these problems. The solution to these problems is to petition the true Supreme Court, the throne room of God. All right. We look around our city and we see all of these problems. I mean, it is an injustice that Atlanta is one of the leading cities in the world in sex trafficking. We're talking about girls kept in cages, little girls kept in cages. That is an injustice. And there's not a political candidate. There's not a political party. There's, there's not a local court that's going to solve that problem. It's a spiritual problem at its core. And the answer to that problem, God tells us, is prayer. If we want justice manifest in the earth, we'll be ones who cry out to him night and day, day and night. Coming before the just judge of all creation. Coming before the true supreme court of all the universe. Let's look at that in Revelation 8, 1 through 6. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven. For about half an hour. <clears throat> so just to go back to the first session, remember Jesus is the only one worthy to take this scroll from the right hand of the Father. And the scroll has seven seals on it. So this is the scrolls, the seals on the scroll have been being opened. And this is the seventh one being opened. The, the final seal on the scroll is being opened. That's just for context of what John's seeing. Verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. 
the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before the before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. All right. So what's going on here is the seventh seal has been opened in the heavenly realm. John is watching what's going on. He's still up there in the heavenly realm and he's watching what's going on. And as he's watching, what he sees is this. He actually sees, says another angel who had a golden censer. You know, if you go to a Catholic um, ceremony, they've got the chain with the thing down there, the little round thing down there um, that's got smoke coming out of it. That's a censer filled with incense, right? He's, the angel has one of those, right? So he's got a, a golden incer, he, a censer. He came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to, alter, to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. So he's got the censer. He's given incense, and it's mixed in with the prayers of the saints, and then it's brought to the altar before the throne of God. So the prayers of the saints, what's he talking about? He's talking about you and me. We're praying and it ends up before the throne of God, right? Our prayers are ending up before the throne of God. And then what happens? It's the prayers of all the saints. So it's the corporate prayer from the planet is going up before God, all right? And then what happens when that happens? The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints. So the incense speaks of worship. So there's worship and prayer, right, going up before the throne of God. And it says... Uh, together with all the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. What's the point? The prayers and the worship come up. They get presented before God and then hurled back to the earth, producing results on the planet. Right? When we see lightnings, rumblings, what does it say? It says... And then came peals of thunder, rumblings, and flashes of lightning. We could go, well, that's just what's happening in the heavenly realm. Well, where is it? Is it the heavenly realm or the earth, earthly realm? Well, we get the answer because if there's an earthquake, where is it happening? On the earth, right? So it's actually happening on the earth is what he's talking about. He's not talking about anymore what's happening in the heavenly realm. He goes, no, the prayers and the worship, they rise before God. They're presented before God as this sweet fragrance before him. And because of those, what comes back on the planet is produced and there's a shaking on the earth from the prayers of the people. There's a shaking on the earth from the prayers of the people. And what this is showing us is that the place of prayer is actually the seat of government of the planet, right? We might think that it's Washington, D.C., or that it's Jerusalem, but actually the place of prayer is the place of government of the entire planet because the prayer room, from the prayer room all over the earth, I'm not talking about IHOP Atlanta prayer room, that's one place, right? But from every prayer room on the planet says the prayers of all the saints rise up before God. He's sitting on the throne Overseeing all the affairs of mankind. Overseeing everything that's happening on this planet. And our prayers actually get there. He listens to them. And he responds. And those prayers produce results on the earth. So if you want to know where the seat of power really is, it's down on your knees. That's where the seat of power is. 
you actually have access to the God of the universe who is sovereign over all things. And he goes, yes, I'm sovereign over all things. I do whatever I please, and this is what I please. I, I am pleased to respond to the prayers of my people. This is how he set it up to work. He goes, yes, I can do anything I want, and the way that I've chosen to set it up is to respond to the prayers of my people. It's the place of government. All right, so God's desire for a house of prayer. We're on Roman numeral two there. Let's look at John 2, 14 through 17. In the temple courts, he, speaking of Jesus, found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. We know what's about to happen, right? This isn't going to turn out well for them. All right, so he made a whip out of cords and drove all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. All right, now let's look at Matthew 21, 12 through 13 at the top of page 3. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling them. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. All right. So one of these is from John and one of these is from Matthew. So you could think that it's just John and Matthew describing the same event. But that's actually not true. Actually, this is two separate events that we have recorded in multiple places in Scripture. One is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and one is near the end of his ministry. It actually happens twice. It actually happens twice. Jesus goes and clears the temple. He goes and does it the first time. They don't learn their lesson. When he comes back, he actually does it again. Right, two different times it happens. But if you ever stop to just, like, pause and think, like the Jesus that we, like, Oh, this is lovey-dovey Jesus who's going to love on us and care for us and all this. This is our Jesus. When's another time that he was like this? He never does anything else like this. He has some sharp words for the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, right? He has some sharp words for them, but this isn't just sharp words. You see what this first passage says? It says, he made a whip out of cords. You know what that means? He went and found some cords first. He's like, no, I need a whip. He's like, I need a whip. There's not a whip. I've got to make one. He actually takes the time to sit down and weave cords together into a whip. Can you imagine? Jesus has got these things, and he's just like, he's got this thing inside him. They're like, the disciples are with him. They're like, I've never seen that look in his eyes before. What is he doing? And he starts braiding together some cords. They're like, what is he making? And as it starts to form, it's like striking him. He's making a whip. What is our Jesus doing with a a whip? What's he going to do with it? And then he's got that look in his eye, and he goes into the temple courts where they're, they're buying and selling and trading, and there's all these animals and these money changers who are ripping people off so that they can make sacrifices before God. 
That's what's happening. That's what he's furious about. They're ripping people off so that the people can make some kind of sacrifice before God, and they're taking advantage of it. And he's got this look in his eye, and he takes the whip, and he starts driving out the animals. These animals belong to people. It's their livelihood. They're selling them. They're ripping people off. But this is how they're making money and living, right? And he's, he's taking his whip and thrashing around. He's taking entire tables and throwing them over. He's picking up the money boxes full of coins, full of people's money, and throwing them, scattering them all over the place. Who is this Jesus? Do we know him this way? Do you picture this Jesus of the Bible? What is driving him to do this? Obviously, there's no other time in Scripture that he does anything like this, but he does it twice. Twice over the same subject. And it says, what's driving him? Zeal for the house of God. Zeal has consumed him. He's like, no, I cannot hold back. When I see this injustice, I cannot hold back. And he says, this is the issue. He says, my house is supposed to be called the house of prayer. But you've turned it into a den of robbers, a den of thieves. And he's actually quoting another verse there. But he's quoting Isaiah 56, 7 there that's in your notes. It says, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. What house is he talking about? He's talking about the temple, right? And it's clear that he's talking about the temple in the Old Testament because that's what Jesus is in in the New Testament, right? He's in the temple, and he goes, no, this house, this temple, this place of worship was supposed to be all along. It's supposed to be about being a house of prayer. So here's the thought. Anytime you read the Old Testament and you see the word temple, you can replace it with the words house of prayer. Now, I'm not saying IHOP Atlanta is God's house of prayer for the planet. We're not saying that. Don't get that idea at all. What I am saying is the temple, every time you read temple, you can read it, house of prayer. Because that's what it was supposed to be all along. It's never supposed to be anything other than this. A house of prayer for all nations. A house of prayer for all nations is what it was intended to be. And Jesus is basically saying, I am not okay with the place of corporate worship being anything other than a house of prayer. At its core, this is what the place of corporate worship is supposed to be, a house of prayer. At its core, that's what it's supposed to be. But now, what do we know now in the New Testament? We don't have to go to a temple in Jerusalem to worship anymore, right? Why not? Because we are the temple, right? We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And almost always, it's easy for us to think when we go temple of the Holy Spirit uh, in the New Testament, we tend to think of ourselves as an individual. But the vast majority of the time when it's used in the New Testament, the temple is actually the corporate body of believers being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there is truth that you are individually the temple of the Holy Spirit. But usually when God's talking about the temple, our us being the temple of the Holy Spirit, he's talking about us all together. Us corporately, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what does this tell us? Zeal consumed Jesus over this. 
the place of corporate worship is supposed to be at its core a house of prayer. When we come together as believers, we are at our core because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are to be first and foremost a house of prayer. As individuals, the truth still stands. We are as individuals to be a house of prayer. Zeal for Jesus consumes him to the to the point that he actually braids together a whip, throws over money tables, you know, scatters the coins, drives out the livelihood of all these people and is whipping, physically whipping with a whip that he made himself. That's how intense he is over this point. Are we that intense over that point in our own lives? Are we identifying ourselves as individuals, as first and foremost, a house of prayer? And are we identifying ourselves corporately when we come together? We are to be a house of prayer. We're not actually primarily to be about sitting there listening to some good preaching. Yes, we are supposed to do that. The, the, the saints need to be equipped. That has to happen. But first and foremost, we're actually supposed to be about being a house of prayer. All right. Let's look at God's prescription. We're going to build off that idea. Psalm 2, verse 7 through 8. This is a stunning passage of Scripture. Psalm 2 is an amazing, uh, it's, it's like this play is going on in three acts with the curtain being drawn back and us seeing these three different scenes. And we see the, the Trinity, the Godhead, at play so clearly within this psalm, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Psalm 2, verses 7 through 8 say this, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me. And I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Now, we know that what's going on here very clearly from other New Testament scriptures, that this is talking about father and son is what's going on here. The father and Jesus. All right, it's real clear. And when you get to Revelation, uh, Jesus actually quotes this about himself. He says, just as I sat down on my father's throne and, and he's uh, uh, give me the rod of man, my brain is fuzzy this morning. Uh, Shatter your enemies. Man, Revelation 2. Let me just read it to you so that you can see that, that he's quoting this. It'll take me a second to get my Bible app open. Sorry, I've got a cold this morning. A little fuzzy. Uh, Revelation 2. No, it's yes, it is. All right. He's talking about the reward that he's going to give to believers who are faithful. And he actually quotes this psalm. I'm getting there. All right, Psalm 2, verse 27. All right, so we'll start in verse 26. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Did you know that's like a promise to you? You get authority over nations if you're faithful, okay? And he goes on to say, that one will, and he puts in quotes, will rule them with an iron scepter and dash them to pieces like pottery. And he's quoting Psalm 2, okay? And then he goes, just as I have received authority from my father. So he says, so basically Psalm 2 is the father looking at Jesus saying, I want to give you authority over all the nations, right? That's what's happening. The father speaking to Jesus saying, I'm going to give you authority over all nations. Does Jesus have authority over all nations? Yes. Yes. He's received that, right? And then Jesus goes, you know what I want to do? 
that, that promise that the Father gave to me, authority over all the nations, I want to give it to you. That's what he's saying in Revelation 2. The, the Psalm 2 promise that the Father gave me, I'm going to give to you. That's stunning, guys. The, the authority that the Father gives the Son, the authority over all nations, he goes, here, I'm going to give it to you. If you'll just be faithful in this age, that's what's coming to you. That's stunning. The exact thing that the Father gives Jesus, the perfect Son of God, the one who is God, he gives to you. It's stunning. But this is the point that we're talking about right now, is how does Jesus enter in to the promise that the Father goes, I am going to give you this. Like, you are going to get this, Jesus. How does Jesus get it? What does he say? Ask me. Ask me. And I'll make the nations your inheritance. That's God the Father talking to God the Son. And he says this. Ask me. What is that? That's prayer. What? You're saying that within the Godhead, there's prayer? And that the Father has actually set it up, and he goes, Son, I am going to give you the nations as your inheritance, and still, I want you to ask me. I mean, it almost sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? That the Son would ask the Father for authority over the nations, the very thing that the Father is going to give him anyway. But God goes, no, I just want to set this up to show you that this is how things operate. God does as as he pleases. He's completely sovereign. And what pleases him is to set up all of creation to work through prayer. It's what John Wesley was talking about. God does nothing but in answer to prayer. Even the son asks the father to have the nations as as his inheritance, even though the father fully is planning on doing it anyway. What's going on? You know that that's what prayer is, right? It's just saying back to God, what God tells us to tell him. That's what prayer is. Saying back to God what God tells us to tell him. And you might say, well, well, that sounds ridiculous. Why would you do that? Because God desires a relationship with you. He desires to have conversation with you. You know, you can't come up with a new thing that God hasn't already planned out to talk about. Right? I bet God's never thought of this. Right? It's not possible. He knows everything. He knows every thought you're ever going to have. Right? You can only talk to him about things he's already thought about. There is no other thing to talk to him about. So when you go, why am I just going to talk to him what he's telling me to talk to him about? Because that's all there is. There is nothing outside of that. And he goes, but man, I love it when you talk to me. I want you to, I want relationship. He's not about rules, regulation, and religion. He's about a relationship. And so he goes, this is how I'm going to set things up. You want to see these results on the earth? I want to see them on the results on the earth, but I also want to do it in relationship with people. That's what I've desired is relationship with people. So I'm only going to do it through prayer. I'm only going to do it through prayer. I'm not going to do it through you, you know, obeying a list of laws and regulations and rules. That's not how it's going to work. Man, aren't you thankful for that? He actually wants to talk to you. He actually wants to see your face. He actually wants to hear your voice. You're not coming to him bothering him. You're his bride, his beloved one, his chosen one, and he desires to have a conversation with you. This is glorious that he set it up this way. This is his desire that we would come before him and ask him for the very things that he's told us that he's going to give us anyway. That is the Lord's prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He knows that's going to happen. It's what he wants to happen, and yet he goes, I want you to talk to me about it. 
I want to do it in relationship with people, in agreement with people, because I want to have this conversation with you. Yes, he could do it all on his own, but he goes, I'm not doing it that way. I'm only doing it in response to prayer. Is 24-7 unceasing prayer a thing for this age? Absolutely. We are to be a house of prayer. It's what we're meant to be as the corporate temple of the Holy Spirit, as the individual temple of the Holy Spirit. We are meant to be a house of prayer. Why? Because God desires relationship with us. He wants us involved in the conversation. He could do it all himself, but he, that's not what pleases him. He does whatever, ple- whatever he pleases, and what pleases him is to do it in relation with us. All right. I have no idea where I am on the page. Let's see. Number two at the bottom of page three, God is so committed to this goal. Wait, I guess we need to read one to see what the goal is. As noted by John Wesley, prayer is the means by which God has chosen to move. Number two, God is so committed to this goal that he even tells Jesus to ask in prayer for what the Father already intends to give him. I'll give you an example. You, you, you might be like, that's ridiculous. Uh, so... I'm a Georgia Bulldog fan, and there's, we're, we're at this gathering, and everybody's watching the, the Georgia game, and the little kid that's just beginning to talk, the little toddler's in the room, and uh, it's a family member, and uh, the, other, the, the parent goes, hey, say, go dogs, and the kid goes, go dogs, and everybody's like, oh, that's awesome, that's so cute, you ever been around something like that, but all it is is the kid's saying what you told him to say, and he says it, and you think it's awesome. That's the way God is. He's like, no, I just, just, just ask me for the nations. Ask me for the nations as your inheritance. Can I have the nations for your inheritance? Yes, that's awesome. Did you hear that? Angels, look at that. Look at that. He just said back what I said to say to him. Isn't that cool? And the angels are like, yes, this is awesome. That's the way it is. He's like, he's, he wants to do it. He knows we want it, but he wants that interaction with us, and it brings pleasure and joy to the heart of God. Man, what if we approach prayer that way instead of we're the beggarly, you know, old widow who maybe if I annoy God enough, he might give me something, even though he's really busy. You go, no, no, that's not who he is. I'm his chosen one, his beloved one, the one he desires intimacy with, the one he desires a relationship with, the one he desires to see my face, to hear my voice. And when I just say back my weak words to him, I'm like, Really, this is like, this is going to do it for you, God? He's like, yes, you won't believe it. This is what does it for me, God. Go dogs. Yes. It's what does it. All right. Second Chronicles 7, 13 through 14. We've, I'm sure we've all heard this one, the top of four. It says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and I will hear their land. Look at that word that's there that's not even in bold. Then will I hear from heaven. He said there's a, there's a thing that I need to happen. If, you're, if your land is in a mess, is our land in a mess? <laughs> Because if your land is in a mess, if your city is in a mess, if your state is in a mess, if your country is in a mess, God says, I have a prescription for that. It's always been the, the same prescription. And it's this, let's hold a rally, you know, get everybody together and do a demonstration. No, it's not actually that, is it? Let's, let's, let's do a get out the vote campaign 
and get the vote out to vote for the right candidate who's going to solve the problem. No, it's not that, is it? Well, let's, let's file a lawsuit, you know, a class action lawsuit, and let's, let's do it through the court system. And he goes, no, actually, those are all fine things to do. I'm not saying... He's, he's not saying don't ever do those things. Yes, you need to vote, right? You need to be active. You need to, to express your voice in this realm. But he said, actually, the primary thing that's going to produce results is humbling ourselves in prayer. It's always been God's prescription. You see it throughout the scripture. You know, go to Joel 2, sound the alarm, call a holy fast. This is God's prescription. When there's trouble in the land, when there's problems in the land, God's prescription has always been prayer. My people will humble themselves and pray. And in that, you can't humble yourselves and pray and then walk out your prayer room, your prayer closet, and live however you want. You know, walk in sin. No, you can't do that. You actually have to turn from your wicked ways. You have to turn from that, so let's not make it all about this and then walking out and living however you want. You have to live according to, 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 to godliness, according to God's love and responding to him in love, following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And you've got to be before the Lord in prayer. He says there's a then. When will the healing come in the land? Then. When is then? When my people humble themselves and pray. If there's not healing in our land, what does that mean? He said, if this happens, then. Obviously, we are not at then yet, are we? So what does that mean? It means that we're not praying. As a corporate people, it means we're not praying. So what's God's prescription? Humble yourselves and pray. Humble yourselves and pray. So you might go, 24-7 prayer and worship, that's too much, that's over the top. No, we obviously don't have enough prayer. We obviously don't have enough prayer because God, he just, he, he's like, I want to do the thing too. I know you want justice in your city. I want justice in your city, but this is how I've set it up. I'm doing it in relationship. I want your involvement. God wants your involvement. He wants to see your face. He wants to hear your voice. He wants us praying. If you'll just turn that word prayer into conversation with the Lord, then it doesn't seem as daunting, as intimidating, or nearly as boring, Right? Who, who could even possibly say, yeah, conversation with the uncreated, unlimited, all-knowing, all-sustaining God of the universe, conversation with him sounds pretty boring. Yeah, I don't think so, right? Right? That's what prayer is. So just, just let's change the way we think about prayer. We're talking to the, the most awesome one there is. We're just going to be in a conversation with the most incredible, beautiful, glorious one there is, the eternal one. There's no one like him. And we get to talk to him. And he goes, man, if you'll just do that, then I'm going to come and heal your land. It's that speedy justice. Night and day prayer is the same thing Jesus said. If you'll do the night and day prayer, you'll get speedy justice. There's the then. All right. If we want to see change in our land, we must be first and foremost a people of prayer. So that's a question to ask ourselves. Am I, first and foremost, a person of prayer? And let me, let me just take a little side trip here for just a moment. Um, at the House of Prayer, we have incredible intercessors, like people who are like, you know, before they ever came to the House of Prayer, they were intercessors to the core, and then they come into the, the House of Prayer, and they're like, oh, I finally found my people. Like, these are my, this is my tribe. Like, these are people of prayer. They're, they're like me. That wasn't me at all. 
I told you my story. Like, I was a worship guy, and I didn't even want to go to the prayer meeting. Some people God places in the house of prayer because they're such incredible intercessors. Me, he placed there because I'm such an incredibly weak intercessor that he knows, man, if I don't have other people around me doing it, I'm not going to do it nearly as often or nearly as well. I'm just like, it's like, oh, man, I, it's just not, not how I saw myself or anything until I got into that context and doing it with other people strengthens me and bolsters me and helps me become a person of prayer. Being in that environment. And that's one of the, one of the awesome things about having this 24-7 reality of worship and prayer is that I can get into that place. And when I, I, you know, you can go, I can pray from home. Yes, you can pray from home. But I know that I prayed way less when I tried to do it from home. When I get into this environment, then I pray more. And you know what our land needs? More prayer. Obviously, from this verse, it's what it needs is more prayer. All right. Set watchmen, Isaiah 62, 1, and then we're going to skip to 6 through 7. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. All right. Here's a question. When you turn on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, how often is Israel and what's happening in the Middle East in the news? Almost all the time, right? Almost all the time, it's on the news. And when it's on the news, is it always spoken of as the praise of the earth? No, right? It's, it's almost like the rest of the planet goes, if we could just take this geographic location, throw it away from the planet, then, man, the planet would be a better place. Like, there's always a mess there, right? There's always a mess centered around Jerusalem. That should tell us the Bible's true. <laughs> like, the fact that it's the centerpiece all the time on the news should tell us the Bible's true. But it's not currently what this verse is describing. Till he makes Jerusalem the praise of the earth. Can we agree that Jerusalem is not currently the praise of the earth, right? Lots of people would like to just throw it away. It is not the praise of the earth. You know what that means? That he's still setting watchmen on the wall. Let's read it again. Verse 6. I have set watchmen on your wall, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes and till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Right? He's saying, I have set watchmen. So set watchmen is both an action. He set them there, right? He has set them there. And it's a position. I am a set watchman. I've been set as a watchman on the wall. Make sense? God does the setting for a person, and then at that point, that person is a set watchman. But what this tells us, because Jerusalem is not a praise in the earth, it means that he's still doing it. He's still setting watchmen. There are still watchmen set on the wall. So it's been happening for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, right? But he's continuing to set watchmen on the wall because he's going to do it until Jerusalem is established as a praise in the earth. You know when that happens? When Jesus returns. Remember we talked about there's all kinds of verses throughout the Bible about Jesus ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. When Jesus is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, Jerusalem will be the praise of the earth. That's the day he's talking about. So until he returns, there will be set watchmen on the wall for Israel. A set watchman speaks of a person who's doing prayer, 
interceding, right? That's what it's talking about. He's saying, cry out to me, those who cry out to me day and night. He's talking about intercessors. He says, do not hold your peace. They will not hold their peace day or night. They will not keep silent. They'll give him no rest. Isn't that an interesting picture? Like God, he doesn't get tired anyway, right? But they're like, don't give him any rest. Just keep coming before him. Keep coming before him. Keep coming before him. Keep coming before him until Jesus returns and is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. That's what the point is. Keep coming before me day and night until Jesus is ruling the planet from Jerusalem. Is day and night worship and prayer something for this age, the New Testament age? Absolutely. Jerusalem is not yet the praise of the earth. This is is what he's calling us to. All right. So God's plan is for 24-7 prayer to exist until he returns to make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Then he will raise up the tabernacle of David once again, right? Unceasing worship and prayer around the throne, but in Jerusalem, Jesus reigning on the throne. Let's look at this last passage and we'll wrap up. Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke uh, about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. All right, so imagine this woman, Anna. It says she was very old at the time that Luke's talking about, but obviously she wasn't always very old, so he gives a little bit of her history, right? And it says that uh, she... Uh, lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. So women got married young back then. So let's say that she was about 17 when she got married, right? So she gets married at about 17. She lives with her husband for seven years. She's now 24, right? And then tragedy strikes her life. Her husband dies, right? And she's a widow. So she's a widow and she's about 24-ish, right, when that happens. So think about this. It, It says... Then she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. So she's about 24. And you can imagine a scenario like this, like tragedy strikes. Who knows how her husband died? But suddenly, just instantly, he's out of the picture. And she's reeling, right? She's like, no, my plan was to live with my husband, you know, until I'm 84. And now here I am, a single woman, man. And in their culture, that's way different than today. It's way different than today. A single woman, that's a dangerous place to be, a hard place to be. In their culture, they couldn't just go out and get a job and do whatever they needed to do. And so you can imagine her going, man, I've just got to I've just got to hear from the Lord. And she goes into the temple and starts crying out to the Lord. What do I do with my life? And probably on the front end, people were encouraging her. Oh, that's a great idea. Right. Just seek the Lord. Just figure out what the Lord wants. Right. And then she's six months into that and she's in the temple day and night crying out to the Lord and fasting and praying. Oh, honey, eat some food. Eat some food. You're getting thin. Come on. Now, now, you've had your six months. I know there's a period of mourning, but, but get out and do life now. Like, move on with your life. Find another husband. You're young still. You're still only 24 and a half now. You know, go out and find a husband. It's, it's okay. Come on. You, you can get out of there. A year in, she's still in the temple day and night fasting and praying. No, seriously, the period of mourning is over. Like, it's, it's been a full year. Get back out there. Do life. 
You know, maybe get on eHarmony, something, you know. <laughs> Five years in, she's still night and day in the temple, prayer and fasting. What do you think people are saying to her at that time? They're probably looking at her, shaking their, their heads. Mm, such a waste. Oh, such a sad thing. She lost her husband and she never recovered. And now she just does that. She's just, she's not all there. Like, she doesn't eat. She prays day and night, spends her days in the temple, doesn't go anywhere else, really. Oh, such a sad story. Sixty years later, from 24 to 84. I mean, they're probably going, batty old lady, right? Batty old lady, look at her. Yep, she completely lost her marbles. Her husband died, she completely lost her marbles. Such a sad story. But God the Father is looking down on it. And his son has been manifest in the flesh on the planet. And he goes, oh, this one who's been crying out to me night and day, day and night, fasting in prayer before me. The planet, everybody around her is despising her and writing her off. But I want to validate her and let her see the very thing her eyes have been longing to behold. And he goes, I'm going to honor her. I'm going to let her see with her very own eyes, God in the flesh. And she's going to be one of the very first to acknowledge him as the Messiah. The Messiah that all of Israel has been waiting for. Who gets to acknowledge that one before men and tell everybody about it? That one who's been in the, the place of nonstop prayer and fasting in the temple, in the presence of the Lord, day and night. God validates her and rewards her. He doesn't write her off like everybody else does. He goes, no, this is a valid place of ministry. Let me tell you, I'm going to record her name in Scripture for every person to read. Anna was a set watchman on the wall. Look what she's going out and telling everybody. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. It's the Isaiah 62 thing. No, everybody who's looking for Jerusalem to become the praise of the earth, that's what they were all waiting for, and that's all what, what they all thought was going to happen at the first coming of Jesus. Jesus is like, yeah, there's actually this whole death and resurrection thing that still has to happen. That's not going to happen yet. It's coming. It's not here yet. But for it to happen, I actually have to come in the flesh and actually die. So for that to happen, she's praying for it to happen. She prays unto the first coming of Jesus. But Jerusalem still is not the praise of the earth. And what God is doing is he's still setting watchmen on the wall. Ones like Anna who will give themselves to day and night fasting and prayer. This time not to usher in the first coming of the Messiah, but to usher in the second coming of Jesus. When at that point, Jerusalem will be established as the praise of the earth. As Jesus rules and reigns the planet from Jerusalem, the tabernacle of David, going once again, raised up, the fallen tent of David, raised up once again. That's where everything is heading. And right now, God is in the process. There are houses of prayer all over the planet. And you don't have to be at a house of prayer to enter into this reality, but the house of prayer is one place you can, and now you've got one right down the street, right? There's one right down the street, and actually, we're all one. With this merger, April 22nd is happening. We're merged like we are all part of the house of prayer at this point. We are all Newbridge, and we're all part of the house of prayer. But God all over the planet is setting watchmen on the wall, whether they're related to a house of prayer or not related to a house of prayer. He is setting watchmen on the wall who will give him no rest, who will cry out to him day and night, night and day until he returns and makes Jerusalem the praise of the earth. 
those just like Anna who go, no, I don't care what people say about me. They're going to say I've lost my mind. They're going to say you pray too much and you don't eat enough. She goes, I don't care because God likes this. And this is God's prescription when there's trouble in the earth. And there is trouble in the earth. There is trouble in our nation. There is trouble in our city. And God's prescription is for us to be a people of prayer who humble ourselves, pray, turn from our wicked ways, seek his face, cry out to him day and night. And God's doing it all over the planet, and he's doing it here. And so I just want to give you an opportunity to to respond to this call. If you feel like if something is awakening in you and you go, yeah, I think that God is actually calling me me to this. He's doing it all over the planet. And we've done this for years and years and years since the House of Prayer started. We've talked about Anna. We used to do it on a weekly basis at our services. Every week we would talk about Anna and how God is raising up those like Anna who will give themselves to the place of fasting and prayer. And we just invite people to stand if if something's resonating with that and they're like, yeah, I don't know when and I don't know where. I don't know what it would look like, but I know that God wants me to give a season of my life to fasting and prayer, to day and night prayer in uh, in a way like Anna did, whether it's, you know, three months, six months, a year, 10 years, the rest of your life, it's, it's not a specific commitment you're making. You're just like, no, I think God wants me to give a season of my life to this, night and day prayer, seeking him, you know, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and just being really intentional about that, give my, my life to a season of that. We've done that for years and years, and like for many years, we did it weekly, and I never saw a time when people didn't stand up. And go, yeah, yeah, I believe that I'm supposed to give it. I mean, it's just such a shocking thing, but it's just validating the scripture. No, really, God's doing Isaiah 62. He really is setting watchmen on the wall. So I just want to give you an opportunity. If you feel like that's resonating within you, that idea of a set watchman, and you go, I think the Lord is calling me at some season in my life. It doesn't have to be now. It could be 10 years down the road. But I know at some season he's going to call me into a time of, of prayer and fasting before him. You're not signing up for an internship at the moment or anything like that. You're just saying, no, I think this is in my future somewhere. I want to invite you to stand so I can pray for you. Father, I lift all of these up to you, Lord. Lord, we just acknowledge that this is something you are doing in the earth. You are setting watchmen on the wall, Lord. We see it in your word. You've said you're doing it. So, Lord, we just want to say yes to that at whatever level it is, Lord, whether it's a one-month season, a three-month season, or the rest of our lives, Lord, we just want to say yes to whatever you desire for us, Lord, in this regard, being a set watchman who will cry out to you day and night until Jerusalem is a praise in the earth, Lord. So I ask that you would mark each one, set them apart, Lord, give them wisdom, give them clarity. Lord, just speak clearly to them the steps that you want them to take to enter into that reality, Lord, whatever it is. Lord, give them grace upon grace to say yes to you. And Lord, I ask that you would make a way where there seems to be no way. If there seems to be hurdles that would make it impossible, Lord, that you would speak grace, grace to every mountain that stands in the way, that every mountain would become a plain, that the crooked places would become straight, the rough places would become smooth, that you would raise up every valley, Lord, and make a way where there seems to be no way, that you would release provision, finances, time, everything that needs to happen, Lord. Would you make a way? And give them grace to say yes to you. Mark them even now, in this moment. Set them apart. In Jesus' name, amen.